Welcome, everybody, to an all-new episode of Crushing Comics. We are here to continue our epic X-Men reread. We are rereading the classic Claremont X-Men, and today we're up to the issues Uncanny X-Men 100 and 101, The Birth of Jean Grey as the Phoenix, as well as the corresponding revisions to those stories and backup stories in classic X-Men 8 and 9. So here's our spoil warning. We are going to spoil these issues thoroughly and completely. We're probably also going to talk about a lot of other things in the Christmas, yeah, especially Tyler. Um, we're going to also talk about about a lot of things happening in the Claremont run, beyond the Claremont run. In fact, due to one of the scenes in these issues, we're actually also going to talk about House of X and Powers of X. So you're going to potentially be spoiled on things from all of those. We will try to avoid spoilers that come after House of X and Powers of X, but it still could come up, but we will just try to give you an ample warning if our conversation takes a turn in that direction. So I'm joined here by two of my favorite comic readers and friends from around the world, Tyler and Freya, and we're going to dig into actually what is the oldest issue of X-Men that I personally own, Uncanny wow. X-Men 100. I got it at my first Comic-Con. And, you know, it starts out with these X-Men fighting each other on the cover, but, like, I think the jig is up pretty quickly once we start reading, because it's pretty clear, A, that this other X-Men team is not in space on this space station where we're fighting, but B, yeah. we just saw Cyclops and Jean and Professor X, and it's pretty clear that it's not them. So to me, this feels like a bit of, kind of, silver silver age frivolity, frivolousness, because it's, it's I don't know that you ever really buy that they're fighting the X-Men, but it makes a great cover to sell comics with. Well, and Hank is not blue. Hank is also not blue or fuzzy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that kind of what gave me, gave it away for me, that Hank is not blue. But then, at the same time, I thought that he probably kidnapped the other ones. You know, like, I, like, I just like, you know, you know, for a, for a little while, I thought that he probably kidnapped the other ones. But then I, I thought, like, thematically, it was about, like, you know, uh, fans fighting that, oh, the old X-Men versus new X-Men. It totally that is. Now. I think it totally <laughs> is. Yeah. 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 But, you know, something that I think at that time, people didn't necessarily care for the old X-Men. That's why they had the new characters to begin with. But now at this time, it's like, oh, those are not my X-Men. It just kind of felt a little bit like that. Like, you know, that Steve, like, you know, Steve Lang. Yeah. Like, you know, he's talking about that. Um, but yeah, I feel like this is also the origin of um, Wolverine. We talked about that this is the origin of like the Jean, Jean Grey Phoenix, but it's also the Wolverine uh, stabbing women is the origin of that. Even though <laughs> it happened to be a robot woman, but you know, he got his idea here. Yeah, there's a lot of Wolverine firsts in this issue, mm -hmm. which we will dig into deeply yep. in just a moment. Tyler, anything you want to add to that initial assessment? Um, no. I think the two of you covered ev almost everything <laughs> from every angle uh, possible. So, um, let's. And I less... also want to. No, I also want to put a disclaimer though. I really like Wolverine. The fact that this is <laughs> where he started is breaking wait, wait, my wait. heart. Wait, wait, wait. Which Wolverine do you like? Do you like the smelly Wolverine or do you like the samurai Wolverine? Like, which Wolverine? <laughs> There's so many versions I mean, of him. I... I know. I mean, there's like, I think I like the Jason Aaron's version. Like, you know, that whole run, that version. He kind of went okay, somewhere as a with teacher. It. But yeah, as a teacher, he went somewhere with it. I feel like that version I like, but ugh, it's just like a lot of it. I'm like, uh, stop it. And also as a Canadian, I take it personally. <laughs> well, in a couple like, of issues. Come on. Well, not a couple yeah. of issues, but like not, not too far down the road, um, his characters will change. 
I quite a bit. So. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, and like you know, as, as and also like I was saying that as a Canadian representative in X Men. He's not doing a good job. I See, think it really takes Claremont having John Byrne as John a Canadian Byrne. representative to, yeah. to turn Wolverine into a compelling character. Because that's the reason that's the reason why Wolverine became more compelling. Because Byrne was like, no, no, no. I'm Canadian. He's Canadian. I can't write I mean, don't write him like that. Yeah, we're much nicer than that, was Byrne's maybe uh, argument. But anyway, so let's let's talk about the there's three significant things for Wolverine in this issue, and let's let's disassemble each of them in turn. So first we get the the debut, I verified that this was true, of Wolverine and Colossus doing the fastball special, fastball a time honored tradition. So that's one. Two is the idea of Wolverine the Killer with these extra human senses. Like, we've got a few hints of these uh, up Mm -hmm. until this issue, but there's definitely this sense of he's like, I don't need to see the face to know that this isn't the real X-Men. And this is the first time we really see him, like, really operating on instinct, even if it's not full Wolverine rage, right? So that's an Mm -hmm. interesting thing to learn about him. And then, of course, there is his habit of disemboweling women. Uh, And this is, like, the, the first use of it. Even though it turns out to be a robot, we still get that thing that we use with Wolverine a lot, which is like his claws going in and the shocking page turn before we realize that he hasn't really killed a woman, which is something that we that's just used an awful lot with Wolverine. So let's start from the good and then get a little bit deeper into that. First fastball special. They've been apparently working on it all the time in the danger room, but this is the first yeah. time they've had a chance to use it in the field. I, I really enjoyed that because I kind of first uh, known about it from Ashton at, uh, from Joss Whedon's X Men. That that's where I first seen it. Uh, but the thing is, like, I feel like it's. Uh, I was like, yay! I know this. This is I know. <laughs> like you know. And then later down the road, there's also a reverse version of it. We'll see. But <laughs> but the thing is, like, you know, it was. Just, I was like, yay! This is where it began. Yep. I mean, this is really. Um... Like I think uh, Peter said um, in one of our p- previous episodes, um, that this is this is the era where Claremont is trying to figure out how the team dynamics are, how the powers are, and how they work in relationship to each other, and how they are going to be used more interesting in 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 various interesting ways. So, yeah, I mean, you know, fastball special. I think for any X-Men fan, you say fastball special, they know what it is. Well, and it's almost, to the, I mean, it's transcended just being Colossus and Wolverine at this point. It's mm-hmm. any any two characters being thrown anywhere yeah. at this, or one character throwing <laughs> yeah. another character. But it's, and so, I mean, I think people do have a general knowledge that it's Colossus and Wolverine, but it's actually per, per um, There's what am I trying to say? It's through all media. I'm pretty yeah. sure I've seen them do a fastball special in Lumberjanes. Like, it, it's really just everywhere. Permeated was the word I was trying to say. <laughs> right. Oh, so, I, I was thinking of permutation because I think there was one where Polaris threw Laura as yeah. a Wolverine. I think yeah. I was trying to say many permutations in, in many... Per, per, <laughs> it's fully permeated many permutations. I don't know. I was a little bit lost. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, so we also get Lang, who in classic like mad scientist tradition... Is just totally unhinged. He, what is his plan here? He's made human sentinels because he wants them to be more subversive and make mutants look even worse. But he's using them to fight the X Men. But he's got some other X Men captive. Like, just put them in, put, put them out the air, airlock. Like, what, what, are, what are you doing here, Lang? Like, what is the plan? 
And wouldn't it be much more interesting if he put this like real life looking or like LMD type, yeah. um, you know, uh, X-Men characters into like real world and yeah. like, I mean, not real world, like in the world and then mm. have them do all kinds of craziness. But then that like a much more interesting propaganda usage of like his creation rather than like, yeah, what X-Men fight. This is like a weird, like, well, like he, he really didn't think this through. through. He didn't think yeah. it through. He's like, oh, I, I know what is cool. I know what would be cool. Let's create the old X-Men to fight the new X-Men. And... <laughs> yeah, and it's also like, I think, like an old-timey comic logic. Like, that's at work here. Like, you know, rather than like, thinking it through. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, comics that we don't need everything to make perfect sense. Comics yeah. can just be fun. But it's just really funny to me because Lang has them on the ropes and like it's it's all it's many unforced errors on his part yeah. that results in the end of this. I always whenever I reread this, I always think, why would you waste your first set of them? But I get that he wants to try them against the actual X-Men mm-hmm. and make sure that they're not left wanting. And it turns out they are, so he probably would have failed with whatever his master plan was. Bad science is bad science. I think that's I think yeah. um this is really an argument in favor of the science method and thorough testing so peter yeah. there's and a question want... so go ahead first no no i was just saying that if you want to get a little bit more um like technical with that it, it's like so what like you know the do do they have feelings like because it seems like gene the way gene was talking to lorna like sorry the fake gene was talking to lorna yeah. it felt like they knew each other there was some history behind them and then they kind of made you kind of think like Oh, are they, are they, like, you know, do they sentient? have their feelings and th- yeah, are they sentient and do they have their thoughts and feelings and how do they feel yeah. about all of this? Well, because, because there's a scene of like the ex-sentinel gene mind blasting Wolverine, right? Oh, yeah, there is. So, yeah, yeah I mean, so there's that question, but, um, you know, I was about to ask Peter a question about art because I have not read a lot of, um, uh, comics in that era. Is it common for comics at the, in the era to open with like a full page and then followed by a splash splash page kind of thing, or is this more Cochrane style? Well, I think the opening on the full page is pretty common because again, like it, they were selling these primarily on the newsstand. Like kids would open up mm-hmm. to the first page to see if they were going to get their value. And I, while early splashes are relatively common, I want to say. I mean, I don't have like mm. my full set of Marvel Masterworks open in front of me right now. I think Cochran was kind of known for being able to pull off these big things. Plus, you know, issue 100, even though it was an extra length at the time, was still significant, even if X-Men had been on pause for, yeah. like, you know, 30 issues in between. But yeah, I do 27 think... issues, actually, yes, I think. Yes, yes. Yeah, so this is technically issue 73, not 100. <laughs> and also, while we're talking about art, something I noticed in the credits of this is I believe there are two women on the creative team here, both on inks and on colors, or is it colors and, and letters? And I just think letters. that that's... Yeah, letters and colors. Letters and colors. And I just think it's interesting because, you know, we would go so much of the X-Men's history without any women on any creative team. Even today, we're picking up issues of X-Men that, um you know, we're lucky if there's one woman who's an editor of the issue. And it's just kind of interesting to me that not only do you have Claremont notable for his writing of powerful women, but half the creative team is, in fact, women, uh, which is something that you wouldn't even get to say about X-Men 10 or 20 years later than that. Well, I mean, at the later, I mean, for the majority of his run, his editors are women. That's true, yeah, and yeah. and then go on to be writers in in some yeah. cases. Correct. So, and I mean, 
sorry, I just wanted to insert the line that uh, Marv Wolfman being the editor here, and then later on going to DC to write the counterpart to X-Men, the new Teen Titans, is yeah. kind of <laughs> interesting. Well, one final art note, which actually takes us across the issue to the back few pages, which to me is what's significant here, is the mm-hmm. difference in how Cockrum draws robot Gene, who's based on the more Silver Age Gene, the Marvel Girl Gene, and Gene at the end. Her face is shaped differently. The way he styles her hair, of course, is very different. Mm-hmm. The um, the power, like the the way he gives her cheekbones is different. He's definitely drawing an older Gene, which is really goes with the amount of resoluteness she has at the end of the issue here. But it's really noticeable to me when he does the first really tight close-up of older Gene after Lang crashes his little rocket ski into the screen. Like, way yes. to go, Lang. I don't know how much we need to dissect that. <laughs> that we that 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 Cockrum is sending us a clear signal in the art here that this Gene is not a child. She's an adult who's kind of in charge of these choices. So mm-hmm. I want to dig into nearly every panel of the end of here with Gene, but I think I want to start with Faria because this is her, you know, first experience with this. What did you think of Gene's historic martyrdom here? Was it a good thing or a bad thing to you as a new reader? Uh Bad thing because it's like we don't have enough women in the team to begin with. And then the fact that, you know, if I didn't know what's going to come, like, you know, obviously now I know that death means nothing in comics. Uh, (laughs) That, you know, but the thing is, like, I thought that, oh, okay, like that's just an odd thing because we're just taking another female character off the board. Um, And at the same time, I wasn't sure where this was coming from. Like, you know, where her like drive to yeah it's quite new it's not like we've really seen it yeah and 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 the thing is though because as we are reading it like she was gone for the team because you know she didn't like because of the editorial or how things were set up and then she just came back and then these are not necessarily her teammates you know even to this day no matter how much time she has passed so I wasn't quite sure. Like, I, I definitely saw saw her saying that, hey, let's try this, this idea. I think that would have floated better versus, like, I know I'm going to die, but I'm going to do this anyway. You know but what this I mean? Being, like, but this is her being pragmatic, right? Because um, no other no other person on, on the team could do that. Right. But then I, I would I was thinking that mostly it sounds like if she was trying to do a like more of a team thing, like let yeah. just hey, let me do this while you do this. But this is something that she kinda knew that she is going to die and yeah. then decided Well but nah, I don't know. I mean my my defense for that would be um the space station is falling apart. So there wasn't really enough time to do a you know, um let's go around the group and see who has a better idea thing. It's like okay, this I'm the telepath here. I'm the only one who is telekinetic, who could probably blocks out as much as possible the solar flare, and I'm the one who could read, you know, Doctor Peter's uh, mind and and learned how to uh, fly this thing. So, so there's no no other person because at at that point, I think we have not established that Wolverine has a healing factor, because if we have if we have established that, it could be like, okay, then, you know, I will stay behind the shield and create a TK and you can drive while I, you know, my link you two together or something like that. But I think at that point, Wolverine's healing factor has not been established. So... Right. Uh, and, 
like I said, this is just me probably being a little bit more nitpicky, but I was just yeah. kind of thinking, I'm like, hmm, really, where did that come from? <laughs> you know, like that's what, that's what I was saying. I'm like, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it is a heroic act, and then I yeah. really like that how she's like, now I'm an astronaut, and then she just kind of get that whole zoom. <laughs> <laughs> since I'm a qualified astronaut, since now. Oh yeah, since now, boom, like you know, so so the, all of that was kind of interesting. But the thing is, like, also at the background side, I was like, no, Gene, no, no, but like, but there's also that that. <laughs> That that dialogue from 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 Cyclops is like, um, what and how will you survive the solar flare? You little, what was he going to call yeah. her? It's like eeks. You little lady. I know. Yeah, I was like, like, I, were, I, I was like, uh, yeah, I was, that's not the way to talk I, to your girlfriend. And then Banshee being like, I mean, you hit him pretty hard, lassie. And Jean <laughs> says, I meant to. And then, and then Wolverine is like, what about Big Daddy X? And she's like, my name is Jean, mister. I yeah. just love how she, Claremont gives her a moment with each of these team members, which we haven't yeah. really seen, because to Free's point, she hasn't really been like on the team. The team, uh, yeah. Where, where we get, where she's, she really shows that she has the strength to rebuff all of them, Wolverine included. And then yeah. her one tender moment was with Storm where she's like, I really don't want to argue with you. And Storm mm-hmm. says, I'm not going to make you argue. I've kind of like just come to say yeah. goodbye. And, you know, it's hard for me as somebody who, I mean, I love Jean Grey. She's the reason I, whenever I come back to comics, it's usually because I think there's going to be a return of Jean Grey. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hard for me to evaluate this, not evaluating it as part of her history and her journey from this very tentative character to this self-sacrificing character to a character who has her own voice. And I do think it's really interesting what Freya kind of gets off of this of like what what her first read was, was Jean just steps in to immediately be like, I'll be sacrificed. That's fine. Throw me in there. And part of it is her being pragmatic, but part of it is like that is kind of who Jean was. There was almost mm-hmm. like a, a lack of... I don't want to say self-worth, but like a feeling like that if she had to sacrifice herself, she would. And many of the X-Men are that. I mean, many mm-hmm. X-Men do sacrifice themselves. Almost all everybody we see here does at some point. Banshee does. Yep. Um, Cy- Cyclops does at one point. Colossus does. You mm-hmm. know, Nightcrawler does. Storm is one of the few X-Men who never dies. Um, yeah. But... I also can't help but think of it in the context of look at this compared to a decision that Storm would make later in X Factor or look at this in a decision compared to what Storm would do in X-Men 281 or look at it compared to Eve of Destruction or look at it compared to the end of Mars and, and that, you know, Jean, if I said Storm, I meant Jean, uh, that Jean continues to evolve as a character and, and we had to start her somewhere, even if it now to us seems like a quite naive version of mm-hmm. who she would eventually become. So, I, you know, and- I can't help but read it in that context. Right, and I think, like, you know, probably eventually I'll get there as well. well you might, um, you I'm might just not. not. There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no. No, one of the things, because I was actually thinking about, like, it, whether it was in this issue, but in a previous issue, because someone wanted to be like, oh, leave Professor X alone, uh, we're just going to go fight. I don't know whether it's this one. And then she says that, no, find another way. You know, like, that we are not going to leave Professor X behind and find another way. That, to me... That's quintessential. Yeah. Yeah. That's a far more uh, interesting and, you know, more uh, stronger character beat Mm -hmm. uh, than be like, well, I guess I'm going to say, which uh, I mean, you know, as time goes on, maybe I'll I'll understand it. Yeah. Well, I mean, two things to note, though, is like um, this. This is the first time Wolverine backs down from a strong woman, but it will not be the last time he backs down 
you know, being like, being confronted by, by, by a strong woman. Well, probably not the first time. I think the second time. Because the first time was when Storm, yeah, Storm told, him off, an issue, told yeah. him off. Yeah. And then um, the other thing to note is that if we have not read the backup stories in Classic X-Men, Storm and Jean's relationship would have came off a little bit odd here. Because oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, because they will be like, oh wait, what? She just she left the team. When not since when are they good friends? You know that kind of thing. So yeah, so I think that classic X Men story is definitely essential reading. I I was I mean I assume, um, you know to get to this point to get to the um, what's the word um gravitas of this of this mm. scene? You know the friendship between the two of them. Yeah, at the time. That is it, very true. At the time, I mean, I, would, I, d- Go ahead. I didn't even think about it. No, no, I was just saying I didn't even think about it. That was a backup issue, not actually within the story. Yeah. Or else it would, it yeah, it would read funny. And it kind mm. of just makes the point that at the time Claremont was writing them as close, kind of just because they were women. Like they had barely, they had kind of had some little conversations, but there was nothing particularly close about them. And that he actually pretty much inserts all of it wholesale in retrospect. But that's why to this day. I always think that Storm is Jean's best friend. If somebody has to save Storm or somebody has to be happy that Jean is back, like it should always be one for the other. Even though Storm goes on to have many other significant relationships with many other characters, to me, Jean still is primarily connected to Storm. And a lot of it's because of this early work that Claremont does with her. And I just want to point out the the juxtaposition here. We go from this very Silver age story of like, they're fighting themselves, right? That's like a very, what you would put on the cover to sell stuff in the right. newsstands of 60s to this like totally psychedelic experience that's about radiation and gene flying this thing through space with yeah. all these crazy colors and it's it's just such a pivot from from a very silver agey kind of comic to a very bronze agey 70s kind of comic book that's about radiation and and has all of these you know wild colors well and also i think without modern coloring like i'm, I'm really um amazed by the ability of the artist to to do gradation through mm. like they just color it differently you know and i mean it's, it's all a solid color but you know it, it looks beautiful basically. and this would be ruined by modern coloring like the i i never want to oh, see a modern yes. colored version of the sequence no keep it uh yeah. because the, all these you know different colors kind of all blending into each other on a rainbow wash is part of what makes it great so classic x-men only makes a few revisions to this issue and i don't know that mm-hmm. they really do too much there's a little bit of context around the base is kind of falling apart around them which i feel like i got from the regular issue there's a little yeah. bit more of a moment of like how cyclops breaks free which again i just don't think i necessarily needed and also they do emphasize for like a heartbeat that the x-men feel bad about lang and his little mo- you know motor bike exploding whereas in the issue they're like oh scrum which actually i kind of like the off scrum version of it better so this right. goes to show that not all of claremont's tinkering is always warranted i don't know that any of these additions in the classic x-men issue make this issue a better read well it does sort of change the the um the way lang was killed because what we saw originally was gene telekinetically freezing the controls and indirectly killing mm, him. That's true. Whereas that's with that new one, it's like, no, 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 I protected him. Right. And then it was these, the unexpected explosion that killed him and not really Gene. 
Yeah, you know. Claremont yeah. was going a little too hard with the genes yeah, control when we yeah. were this year. No, I mean, I did not. I mean, to be honest, I read the other version as well. I'm like, nah. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> nah, Daddy Claremont. We're just going to stick to the original version you wrote. Like, we're not being sad about Nazis dying. Sorry. But no. Yeah. No thanks. <laughs> Now, so now we get to Uncanny X-Men 101, which is an interesting issue because it's a transitional issue. We get a little bit of an epilogue to this. His cra- I mean, we think Gene's a goner, right? Like yeah. if you were an issue by issue reader then, or if you're reading it now with no sense as my kid did of what's going to happen, it was like, Gene's going to die, right? Um, and so, you know, we get a couple of things in quick succession. Like we, Gene lives, she's in the hospital, all the X-Men are there. Wolverine decides that he has a crush on Gene because she stood up to him. Uh. So now he's in Infatuated with her, which we'll vomit over in just a moment. And then we get this whole other, like, oh, so the X-Men should take a vacation, which maybe seems mm-hmm. like it's going to be totally frivolous, but then it leads very neatly into another story, which has surprised the juggernaut at the end. So, like, this yeah. issue, I mean, it's not a lot of story pages, but a lot of stuff happens. I mean, it really just happens so quickly. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. In 15, one's a split page um, splash. So in 16 story pages, all of the stuff happens. As I was reading it, though, I honestly thought that I already went through multiple issues. Like, <laughs> you know, because, because, first of all, these issues are a little bit longer than mm. um, modern issues, right? So we already no. know that. But as they're I was shorter. Right, they're shorter. They're shorter. Doesn't it feel Short. like longer? Uh, and that's what I meant. I yeah. mean, they're shorter in page count, but longer in terms of the number amount content. of content yeah, being, yeah. being put in them. So... As I was reading it, I'm like, oh, how am I still in 101? (laughs) (laughs) At the the end of it. Also, I have to say, the amount, because I kind of, through osmosis, I know about Phoenix and all the idea of it, you know, through movies and stuff. I was a little underwhelmed by how it was all revealed. Like, you know, like, I thought that there would be something more and that the whole issue will be dedicated to that. But instead, it was just like, well, we think Jean is dead. But then Jean's like, no, I'm not. And then we are done. Are we? Well, I'm Are we going to say anything? <laughs> I, I'll just say my reaction in the moment, which is that when I reread this issue, I'm always surprised by that because I always build it up to be so much bigger. Like even having just read it in the last year and going back to it for this read, I was like, is is that it? Really? She just like pops out of the water and then falls down and that's the end. But I think because, I mean, this is the beginning now of of... 37 issues of of graduating build up and I can almost name like all of the points where we're going to see little inflections and of course mm-hmm. when you get this in other trans you know translated to other media it does two things right first it feels the need to tell more of the story of how powerful she is up front because it wants to impact you with how important her transition is which I don't know that Claremont fully even appreciated as he was writing it here and then the other thing is that it tries to, it doesn't it knows it's not going to tell all of those in between stories where we get more and more examples of her power kind of growing and growing and so it wants to show that in a much more accelerated way so between trying to make it significant and accelerate it. I think we've seen this this moment, I think, in the cartoon. We've seen this moment in, in various ways in the movies. Um, and, and twice. It's, and it, and yeah, twice. And it just it comes off as being much bigger. And it has tricked even me to expecting it to be bigger in the comic book. And I think, like, it's just a matter of, like, also internal mental hype that I had. You yeah. Know, that, like, I was, I was just overhyped, too, for it. Uh, the <laughs> same way, like, you know... 
Vader's uh, appearance. Like, you know, right, appearance. It comes, it's very quick in reality. It's very, like, you know, you're like, <laughs> that's it? That's the guy. Like, you know, yeah. so I think it just kind of played into it a little bit. But I do want to talk about, though, in terms of, like, you know, we talked about it in a previous episode of, like, building a woman up to be so, so much stronger and, you know, all of that. And then next scene, you just kind of cut it up right. a little bit. Oh, she's a yeah, exactly. you know. Exactly. And, then, and that's what I'm saying. Like, out of context, like, in story, it makes perfect sense. Because, you know, she just got overwhelmed by all mm-hmm. this power. And, you know, it just, if any normal, like, you know, being would go through that. Perfect. No, no complaint about that. But the thing is, like the whole, like you know, this is like this whole thing where like all the carves are like jutted out. It's just like I was like, ugh, do we need to do that? Like, no, but I mean, I but if you ask a modern, more you know, a modern, um, I don't know how you call it, like image. Okay, let's let's say just yeah. sort of image artist draw that scene. Her boobs would be like you know, three times as big and her oh. butt will somehow be showing in that in that scene That's with true. the angle, right? But I mean, That's if you true. look at this, it's actually very conservative in terms of like, you know, sort of accentuated some of the curves. I, I don't think right. it's that bad. No, no, it's, it's not bad per se, yeah. like from that point of view, that it's not like sexualizing a woman's, yeah. um, like, you know, in a, in a very, like, weak state um mm-hmm. is definitely not doing that but at the same time it's like oh that i was like <laughs> oh come on like you know just like sorry for podcast listeners, I i'm know. just putting my head uh, up yeah we're all just up, fainting like, in a very victorian yeah, way fainting. Like, like, yeah that, that's what i'm talking about like why it has to Go be on. like that victorian women fainting <laughs> point i'm like okay. well i do want to like, talk i do want to talk for a moment about that gene coming out of the water uh, image because a i agree with tyler one of the things i actually love about cockram is that he draws like semi-realistic bodies like they're a little elongated and they're Mm -hmm. certainly muscular but jean you know looks like a real person in doing something powerful here she doesn't just look like a comic book hero which i think like adds a little bit and the same way he was drawing jean in the last issue too i think it just adds a little bit to the impact of jean and makes her that much more likable that she just doesn't seem like this unattainable cosmic god in terms of how her body looks and and how her physicality Mm -hmm. comes across but also the coloring on those boots man like it really reads as reflective gold on the page they're not yellow they are gold Gold. (laughs) and you can just just the um the way that the that it has black to show the kind of the darker part of the reflection and then a little bit of a darker orange line and then the bright white of the reflection i mean it reads as gold and i just love when people play with colors to do metallics and to do reflections in a comic book Mm because it's really hard when you think about like what what are the colors really even when you look on your computer screen and you're seeing a you know a jpeg of something that's bright silver like there's no silver right it's all being done in representation of RGB colors. And I just mm-hmm. think that the the boots and the, the sash. And also, like, how practical is that sash? Like, oh, I'm remaking myself as the Phoenix. Let's have a sash. Let's, you know, like, it's... <laughs> and it's not even, like, a full-on, like, modesty sash. Like, it's not really covering up all that much on her costume. It's just a sash just to have it, yeah. you know? But even even then, like, you know, you could think about getting yourself, giving yourself pockets... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just had to put like a modern female wardrobe joke. Yeah. Um, but, you the, know, I mean, that sort of brings me back to like Peter's like really, really um, strong objection to um, House of X issue one where Jink appears 
in her old Marvel Girl uniform. And I was like, is this your favorite um, Jean Grey costume? <laughs> oh, the Phoenix one? Yeah. I, I actually have really enjoyed recently, we've been getting a slight remix of her Jim Lee costume with all the orange and the blue, which is a little visually overwhelming. But they've been making the colors so that it works a little bit better with her um, to make a little bit, a little bit more like green and blue and yellow. And I, I think the reason people gravitate to the classic costumes, both the Marvel Girl costume and the Phoenix costume, is because Jean looks good in green, like it, it, and and a little pop of yellow. And so I think that, um, but I do find it offensive when we get back to calling her. First of all, calling her Marvel Girl, she's a grown woman. Uh, and the other thing is also the mini skirt, which almost made me laugh in the issue where Wolverine just last episode like helps her cut her dress too short so she can like maneuver. Like you're telling me that. Jean in the modern day is like yeah let's get back to his skirt let me let me flash back to those times when i needed wolverine to take my clothes off so i could do missions yeah. well so i i just have a lot of thoughts on jean gray and i just think that it's like it's it's inconceivable to inconceivable to me that modern authors are like well she feels most at home being marvel girl or she feels most at home in the mini skirt like that to me is ludicrous i just yeah. i think it's a fundamentally wrong read of jean gray and it, it is also like, you know, uh, like shame, like not shame, but, you know, I just kind of sad, though, that it hasn't, they still haven't managed to get me excited about Jean Grey. Like, I am excited about Emma Frost, Kate Pride, Storm, every Let other Marvel X-Men character. I don't know about Jean Grey. I'm Big? Like, okay. Wait, are you excited about Big? <laughs> I'm saying talking about women characters. Yeah. She's excited about Angel. Like, okay, 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 Angel. Yeah. Yeah. Even, Angel. In, even like Angel as like a offshoot character, whatever. Yeah. You know, like so. she she serves the purpose. But I think it's someone who is like this interesting or this like you know involved iconic, in the X Men yeah. iconic. I'm like okay. Sure, but to the to the point of the metallic boots thing, though, I did mm-hmm. return one of the, one of her uh, statue because the boot wasn't metallic. It was drawn. It was like green. Uh, sorry, yellow. I'm like, I don't want that. Awesome. Like I saw the picture. I'm like, that's not what it is. Return. I know. So while so, we're in the um, House of X, Powers of X splash zone, let's talk about the brief Maura McTaggart scene here because it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. We we are dedicating ourselves to rereading some of these things with the knowledge yeah. that Mora has come spoilers, 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 but we warned you about spoilers. them at the beginning. More we Mora now is in her tenth life. She's met these people before. She knows how some of these things are gonna go. And she also um, has communicated all that to Professor Xavier, but they have this moment between the two of them of like talking about how Jean's gotta make it through. And it's interesting because you have to wonder, has the Gene Phoenix thing happened that Mora has seen already? It wouldn't, like, would it have happened in Life 1 or 2 when she didn't get involved with Xavier? Would it have happened in Lives 3 and 4, which are the most like the lives with the modern X-Men? Or maybe it's 4 and 5, I forget now. Right, Mm. Life 3 is the, yeah, anyway. But point being, has Phoenix happened before? And, or is this all new material to them? My my argument would be Phoenix has had happened in one of her life, and um, and Moira is sort of um, uh, how should I put it? Because, okay, this is from this point onwards, it is my guess. So, um, I think Moira um has a plan for the Phoenix um 
the 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 phoenix um what do you call uh force avatar the host the phoenix host right so jean is one of the phoenix hosts and quinn the quill is one of the phoenix hosts so jean is the past host quinn and quill is one of the future hosts and the two of them are two of the mutants on the omega mutants list and also, I will point out that in House of X number two, during Mora's flashbacks to past lives, we do see the Phoenix Five as they are seen in Avengers versus X-Men. So clearly there's That's an right. experience with a Phoenix, but it's very yes. careful in the j- images that it shows of the team before then to not show Gene as the Phoenix. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like open to interpretation at this point, yeah. whether we got like a full on Dark Phoenix saga in a prior Mora life or not. Exactly. And also, I think and in Life 6, Moira learned about the um, Dominion. And in one of the data pages, the Dominion is only afraid of like the universal um, entities such as Galactus mm, and, and Phoenix. The Phoenix. Freya, what were you going to chip in there? No, I was just going to ask, why is Phoenix constantly haunting this girl? Like, wh- what is up mm. with that? She's the one. It just thinks that she's the best best representation of the Phoenix values in the whole known universe. (laughs) No, no, no. And it likes redheads. My my argument would be all writers who don't do their homework thinks that Jean is the best host, which is entirely not true. Yes, because, I can tell you that. Because Rachel is so <laughs> much stronger. Uh, now we're getting into it. Now we're getting you know into I mean? the true X-Men debates yeah, here. Because Rachel, Rachel Rachel, actually, you know, is the host for Phoenix for a long time, and she did not turn dark. Well, we'll let Freya get there in her own time yeah. about 90 issues yeah. from now. But I happen yeah. to agree with every word that you just said. So, so... Wolverine is in the hospital. They rebuff him. He throws his flowers in the trash. Cyclops is like, she lives, she lives. And Cyclops breaks down because all that matters. But I do think there's this really interesting moment with Cyclops where like, let's just acknowledge that Scott has no personality at all and he has Mm -hmm. no hobbies. And all he does is lead the X-Men and love Gene. That's it. (laughs) If you were like, Scott, let's go to a bar. So what have you really been up to? Well, I led a lot of X-Men. Well, other than that, well, I do really love Gene. There's just just no other layer. It's a Cyclops at all. This is, you have to understand you're in a Cyclops hating zone sometimes when you're on this pro- listening to this program. Uh, and so then the X-Men decide, hey, let's take a vacation since Jean is convalescing. I mean, Free, is there any, any additional mockery you wanted to make of Scott or Logan in the hospital before we continue? I mean, Logan thought that he's the only one who's going to be beside Jean's <laughs> yeah, side. Yeah, he's like, I'm the only one who's going to get flowers. I'm the only one who's going to show up. flowers. Yeah, he got her flowers and then says that um, someone I like and want and Wolverine wants, he gets. Gross. Yeah. Like, <laughs> bleh, gross. So gross. And so then, gross. But, and then, but then the caption. And, the, and then the flower is like a dollar, like, you know, a dollar yeah. a bunch. That's well, how that's it's that these economics. At we, that time. Like, if we control yeah, for inflation, like 10, it would be like seven or ten dollars now. Yeah. Ten dollars now. It's not that interesting. Um, and then he decided to like, you know, clean up, put his like best outfit with his hat and everything, and then showed up. 
And then, okay, you did all of that. Just because you saw all these other people waiting doesn't mean you should be throwing the flowers in the garbage. Just still give it to her. Like, what is this? I mean, yeah. And then the whole thing with Cyclops, I've been constantly saying the Cyclops is so boring, but you kind of summarize it all. He's like, leads X-Men, loves Sheen, and now probably into Emma Frost too. So that's his third ca- new characteristics that we have. And oh, and then father of Cable, fourth yeah. one. You so know, one one dollar in nineteen seventy six, by the way, adjusted for inflation, is four dollars and fifty seven cents. Ew, even gross. <laughs> Still gross. Get like two. But, okay, get like two. How about it? But, How about that? Get two. But Faria, I have a question for 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 you as a Canadian. Uh. Um, is the cowboy outfit very common in Canada? No, it's not. It's I absolutely thought, not. But I thought can, that there's a whole Canadian thing about denim tuxedo, like a, a, a people who do who like do like denim with like a denim shirt and like a like a den and like a hat. Like I thought that was like a whole trope in Canada. So I mean, that's the thing. I never. Or it's the Canadian them, tuxedo. You know. That's what they call it, right? Serious? Okay, I've never seen anyone doing no. wearing that. I've never seen anyone. I'm gonna Google that. Canadian again, tuxedo. Wearing. Yeah, yeah, do do that because the thing is, like, I honestly have always kind of hung around in terms of like very diverse side of Canadian people. So I don't know what mm-hmm. Canadian white people are up to. So mm-hmm. don't, don't, don't kind of don't tell me. Maybe. Oh. Whatever. Well, there's a whole story like, behind a Canadian tuxedo, yeah. which we won't get into here because Wolverine wasn't officially wearing one since he didn't have okay. a denim shirt on. But it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, before we move on uh, beyond the Moira plot, whatever here, I have a question for the two of you. Where, why do you think, or where do you think the Moira and Banshee love, you know, relationship comes into play, given that this is a tenth life? Oh, why did no she idea. fall in love with Banshee? I think I'm going to have a lot to yeah, say maybe. about that when we get to Uncanny X-Men, like one, um, the Proteus Saga in the 120s, because then we have to contend with who she it was in a relationship with and to what extent mm-hmm. she did that knowledgeably and what Banshee represents in opposition to that. But we that's going to be a heavy episode with a heavy yeah. conversation, so I'm just going to okay. save it for another 20 sure. issues. I don't know, Freya, do you yeah. do you do you see Banshee and go, Yeah, that's the kind of guy I would date in my tenth time around? I am very disappointed in the what like ex ladies what they have available in terms of dating. <laughs> As of right now, I'll be honest, I'm not seeing much. I'm like gross. I think the obvious them. choice is Nightcrawler of this choice. Exactly. Of- okay. As of right now, <laughs> As of this moment. Colossal. Nightcrawler and Colossus are the most uh, two that is like I'm like I understand Kate now. I'm like no keep keep your keep your dirty paws away from my Colossus. (laughs) Oh, Oh, clearly we're gonna have fun in the 140s when Kitty Pride hits the scene. So look, the X Men decide they're gonna go on a vacation because uh, Banshee Sean Cassidy gets this letter from his. He turns out he was brought up in a castle. He goes. Mm -hmm. They go to Ireland to visit the castle. Storm thinks the roads are bumpy. Everybody's complaining, and they are invited to you know a wonderful dinner, which gives us a terrific uh, sequence of Storm getting fully dressed up, and then Nightcrawler and Colossus are, are, are. as the case may be, kind of fighting over whose date she is. And Storm, great line, comes back and says, I'm no one's date. The three of us will be going into dinner dinner together as equals. As equals. Agreed. I'm like, you go, Aurora. And then, surprise, this is the juggernaut at the end of the issue. So does anybody have anything (laughs) they want to add about the X-Men's Irish vacation before we wrap things up? 
I did not know that uh, Black Tom and uh, Banshee were related. And did you know that Black Tom and Juggernaut were life partners? No, you didn't. I didn't know that either. (laughs) I did not know that either. And that really surprised me. I have a lot of questions about Juggernaut that I want to ask in in a future episode. But, you know, I was... Because I was like, whoa, Black Tom, is that you? Because now he's like walking around... Spoilers! Spoilers! people. Yeah, now he's walking around in Krakoa as like a poet. So... Oh, yeah, like, do you a, think do you think a, the current version of Black Tom? I mean, we'll we'll get it. Okay, to come next yeah. episode because that has way more Black yeah. Tom content. We will Correct. discuss if the current Black Tom connects to the original Black Tom in Free as a mm-hmm. Stay tuned. Yeah. So, um, I anything anything else? Yeah, there's a lot of Black Tom and Juggernaut. Anything yeah. else? Does anybody want to talk about here? Well, it just seems like everyone the X Men meets is really related to them somehow in some ways or exactly. another. That's true. <laughs> so that is so. I mean, true. I think that was that was, that is kind of true for now, and then maybe later on it will be it will be slightly different. Although but, now um, that I'm thinking through like the next twenty or thirty issues, I'm like, well, really, really, what do we get that's not intimately already connected to the X Men? <laughs> but we'll get there. So in the classic X-Men issue, there are some minor revisions. It gives mm. us a few more moments with the team after Jean bursts out of the water, including yeah. the unconscious Jean altering the molecules of her costume, which I think like slightly diffuses some of Freya's comments yeah. about Jean, where it's kind of like maybe Jean consciously has kind of, you know, fainted away, but she's still the most powerful person in the room. But I don't know that it was really quintessential like don't hunt down classic x-men just for that and it also Mm. gives a minor dialogue edit to let us know that black tom actually expected the x-men to come with banshee which actually makes the whole rest of the story make more sense but again these two classic x-men revisions not the most revolutionary changes we have encountered and storm flying back to get clothings for them because they're going straight to their hospital right it's like storm back to the suitcases like (laughs) critical critical plot development yeah i know (laughs) <laughs> but we do have two classic X-Men stories in here, and here's mm. the thing. So classic X-Men number eight, it comes d- immediately between 100 and 101 to show us Phoenix's intervention in Jean's fate. However, even though Claremont knew that Jean became the Phoenix here, he didn't have the whole Jean in a cocoon plot. That came after Kurt Busiek suggested it to bring Jean back so they could launch X-Factor in 1986, which originally was supposed to either be Jean's sister now with powers or Dazzler. So, so against Claremont's express wishes, Jean had been brought back later. And so this is Claremont, petty as he can possibly be, being like, well, you don't actually get to write that. I get to write that. She's X-Men is mine. And so Claremont writes what his version of the Phoenix offering Jean her fate is into the story. So this is why we're saying that if you're just looking for like a straight read of Uncanny X-Men uninfluenced by retcons, even though all these other classic X-Men stories kind of work with the classic X-Men issues, Mm -hmm. this particular classic X-Men story really recasts how you're going to experience Jean as the Phoenix. That said, we did read it. So Freya, what did you think about this classic story to add more context to the Phoenix Force? So, I mean, you're talking about that this is all retcon and all the history behind it. Yes. I thought this actually makes the whole thing far more interesting. So tell us about like, that. Maybe that's a good argument to always read it here. Maybe it was mm-hmm. always a better version. Right. So the thing is, like, I kind of also understood, like, you know, to me, it felt like, okay, just like, you know, her, like, it just like where she was coming from, the fact that she truly died and this is a new version of her so that therefore it's not just a like oh gotcha 
yeah uh, just like a, a a plot gotcha thing like it's like mm-hmm. truly something change happened you know so there is something to mourn about and then also like you know it just kind of i really like the idea of showing a like you know a woman kind of, like a kind of fading away and then she was like kind of ugly like you know like it's just like she's fading away and there, there's a moment it's not like oh she was still pretty jean as she faded away none of that like you know there was like a little bit like her it there was it's a not a glamorous sad, death yeah it wasn't uh, nothing glamorous about it um from that point of view i really also liked it and then i also see that this was actually a deal gene made with the phoenix instead phoenix taking just taking her over just because phoenix like redhead you know like it felt like gene had lot more to say about this more control it, like, yeah it yeah, gives gene it feels it. like it gives gene more consent in the situation like she could have died that could have been just fine but the phoenix actually came with an off- offer which like the phoenix force is so such a diffuse kind of concept when claremont originally writes it that this is the beginning of writing the phoenix force is a lot more sentient which would get picked up by claremont yeah. and davis in excalibur as well Mm-hmm. And so I I actually like it for those reasons too, Freya. Like I'm I I fear showing it to people because I think it diffuses the idea of Jean's later sacrifice. But you might actually mm-hmm. wind up liking it better because you don't want necessarily to just keep reading about women sacrificing themselves, and and yeah. it will recast Jean's future sacrifice as Phoenix's sacrifice, which makes the story completely different. Different. Yeah. It, possibly, and then that's one of the things. Like you know, because I haven't read forward into it and i don't know how all of this kind of you know so i don't know from in context how yeah. that reads but yeah. as of right now it feels like gene had a lot more to kind of say or do with mm. this all of this rather than like hey phoenix just came and just grabbing onto her yeah it, it just... always, yeah it always feels like that you know like all oh. everything that i know about all of this it just always feels like phoenix just kind of came in and like yep you i'll take this like well, the, you know i don't know the the thing is like these Classic X-Men's backup stories are, for some reason, not very well-known. And I can oh. They were hard understand. to get for a really long time. They were only in those That's two true. X-Men vignettes. Um, vignettes, yeah. Compilations, they were hard to get. They were out of print. They didn't even have all of them. So it wasn't until the last year that we got things like the the classic X-Men yeah. Omnibus, which is, you yeah. know, usually behind Tyler, and I happen to have mine here. Yeah. And then they immediately also redid it in a pair of trades. So, like, a lot of these stories, and that, that caused them to be available on Marvel Unlimited. Marvel Unlimited, yeah. Which means, like, up until last year, or maybe it was in tw- the end of 2018, these were just totally inaccessible unless mm. you had the original mm. comic books that's true interesting that's true. Uh-huh. yeah because because i mean you know my opinion is that these are really good stories and they they, they round out the characters a lot so it's not so much of um oh you know we we, we have this big fight or this big you know uh, villain thing going on but it's, it's more character moments which um i really love and um and 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 yeah i mean it 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 contextualized recontextualized and adds a lot of layers to some of these um initially two-dimensional characters mm. well i'm talking and, about oh go ahead for you no i i personally don't actually care for the revisions because i'm like no you get one chance i'm not interested in knowing yeah, your no, revisions, no, that's george but... lucas nonsense 
yeah none of that but i am more interested in and to be honest i'm actually not even kind of thinking of them as canon i'm like no whatever the original story said but the backup story on the other hand even though it was written later it's new stories it's new environment that the characters are in and that adds far more interesting stories and those are i think should be quite uh, essential reading and should be read yeah well speaking of giving character moments nightcrawler who hasn't had the probably has had the least moments of everybody even taking into account his backup story we've already read gets a very weird backup story in classic x-men <laughs> number is. nine where he's hanging out with this young boy which makes him learn how to appreciate himself but also the young boy is a ghost who just died in the hospital while gene was in the hospital it's yeah. like a very weird kind of like I don't know, Ghost of Christmas Future kind of, or Ghost of Christmas Present kind of story, and I never quite know what to think about it. I have read this one before, and I just, I don't know. Faria, Tyler, help me out here. I, I was kind of shocked. It's like, how is he still religious after that? <laughs> what? No, I, Wouldn't I that see... make him more religious? But why, though? Because the, he, the, kid, know... the, kid, the ghost just hadn't ascended to heaven yet. Yeah, but you assume that it is. Saying. But you assume that it is a ghost. But what if it is an angel that is sent to help Kurt? Uh, or what if it's just a psychic after image that's caused by Jean's phoenix power radiating through the hospital? <laughs> right. Be... I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was just kind of thinking that you know the way, a lot like the way he's Catholic, right? Yes. Like I think Catholicism, like you know, works. Yeah. I would think that that would kind of give him pause in terms of thinking about afterlife and all of that. So that's one of the reasons I was like, so where did this story go? And as of right now, he's not actually religious. No, we haven't really seen anything like that yet. Yeah, that story hasn't hit him yet. Like, you know, that characteristics, um, like, you know, I'm keeping track of like, you know, one, two, three, what everyone's characteristics is. (laughs) is like, is religious. So that hasn't come yet but the thing mm-hmm. is like i was i was kind of thinking about it. i'm like wouldn't it, that have given him pause and then the way he talks about death and everything is like did he forget that event happened to him because <gasps> he doesn't mention it by the he way <laughs> like you yeah. know yeah so uh, maybe it's a non-canon event to be I, honest well but you know I, it's interesting to see which of these classic x-men issues get picked up for canon and which don't like anything that's gene and cyclops from these classic x-men issues i feel like are tend to be really canonized because yep. people look for them as evidence but then some mm-hmm. of these things like colossus dating the ballerina like maybe that gets referenced mm-hmm. i i am racking my brain trying to think mm-hmm. if it ever gets referenced outside of other backups and so kurt with the ghost i think is one of those that just kind of i don't think it gets referenced but i guess we'll find out as we get after 1986 and see if these things get referenced yeah yeah definitely. if we make it that far Whew. or maybe hickman will pick it up yeah maybe a, that oh my goodness you never maybe know the the boy is in the tower oh my god <laughs> okay, okay let's before we get into a whole new round of spoilers so look if you want to continue our epic x-men reread with us the next two issues will be uncanny x-men 102 and 103 which will take us through the rest of this black tom and juggernaut story they also have backup stories in classic x-men number 10 and 11 but we've actually already read the backup from classic x-men 10 because it was set during uncanny x-men 94 so for next time you only really need to read classic x-men number 11 you could read classic x-men number 16 backup if you want to because it's thematically linked but it's not necessarily happening at the same time so to recap Mm -hmm. uncanny x-men 102 103 and the backup story in classic x-men 11 is your assignment for the next time. So I want to thank Tyler and Freya so much. These issues, especially these two issues, 
issues. I have read so many times <laughs> and it is so delightful to talk about them in a different light because Freya, X-Men is for what? It's better when you read it together. That's right. X-Men's yes. better when you read it together. We're going to get really good at that to end it. That might be how we end episodes from now on. Yeah. Origin story. This is like yes. the first fastball special. This is, yeah. Oh my God. This is where you parted first. <laughs> this is, this is Farihatism. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> well, there's a lot of freeatisms. I'm sure somebody could yeah. put together a wiki. But until we do, this is Peter with my co-host Tyler and Freya signing off once again from our crushing comics epic X-Men reread. If you're loving this, please let us know that we should continue. And please subscribe to see more and hear more from crushing comics. Thanks so much, everybody. Be well. Thank you. Bye. Bye.